When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the Star Wars Legends line of books. I'm Aaron Motes. Today, we look at the second book in the X-Wing series, Wedge's Gamble, by Michael Stackpole. But first, I've asked a few times for listeners to submit their questions for a Q&A episode, but so far I haven't received enough to do an entire show. Now that's fine. I'm sure it'll happen in the future. But there have been a couple questions that have come in. So let's go ahead and answer one. This question comes from Twitter. User Rusar Vareth. I hope I pronounced that correctly. If not, I apologize. Rusar Vareth at Rusar Vareth. And Rusar asks, What are the different levels of canon within the Legends timeline? Now, thank you for very much for the question, Rusar. I agree that the different canon levels in Legends can be confusing. I used to know a lot more of it back probably in the late 90s, early 2000s than I do now. But I didn't want to give you any wrong information, so I went on Wikipedia and looked it up. Wikipedia, of course, a tremendous source for Star Wars fans looking for any information in Legends or Canon. The five levels of Canon within the Legends timeline are G Canon, T, C, S, and N. G is the highest that comes directly from George Lucas. What George says or what George puts on the screen is the highest form of Canon in the Legends line. That includes the first six movies, from The Phantom Menace up to Return of the Jedi, the novelizations of those movies, and anything else that George has specifically stated. T-Canon is the second level. That is the Clone Wars television show that most people know and love. C-Canon. Now that is the third level, and that's where most of the things within Legends lies. Those are the majority of Legends novels, the comic books, the Gendi Tartakovsky Clone Wars micro series, the stories within the various video games like uh, Dark Forces or Knights of the Old Republic. Now, within C Canon, you have stuff like the original Thrawn novels, the Dark Empire comics, Shadows of the Empire, both the novel and video game. As I said, you got Knights of the Old Republic. Any of those things are sea canon. Now, some of the things within sea canon are actual canon now. 
Coruscant, for instance, the name of the planet that is the political center of this galaxy. That started in Legends in the original Thrawn trilogy. You also have Darth Bane, the Crate Dragon Pearl that we saw in the Mandalorian series and in the Knights of the Old Republic video game. General Grievous. All of those first appeared in the Legends timeline in Sea Canon. And it sounds like we're probably going to get some more of that stuff going forward. The next level down is S Canon. That is secondary canon. Generally older stuff, like the original Marvel comic line from the late 70s, early 80s. The Glove of Darth Vader series, young reader books. Um, The holiday special that Lucas hates. S-Canon are stories that don't fit in the continuity. And then the final level is N-Canon or non-Canon. According to Wikipedia, the stuff in non-Canon are the video games, non-story video games, or what-if tales, what-if short stories. So those are the five levels of canon within Legends. Now, while there isn't anything official, you can also kind of look at the actual canon and see that there are different levels since the Disney acquisition. There's what you see in the movies and television shows. Those are the highest level of canon. The stories in the canon novels, the comics, the stories in the video games, They're the second level of canon, meaning there might be some very small inconsistencies with what are in the films and television shows. Anytime there are those inconsistencies, whatever's on the screen takes precedence. But again, since the Disney acquisition and the founding of the story group within Lucasfilm, almost everything is canon now. But there are some very small inconsistencies. Then there's what I've heard people call canon adjacent. The canon adjacent stuff is stuff like the Star Wars Lego shows or Lego video games or the short stories in the two from a certain point of view books, the stories in the Legends of Luke Skywalker book, and then, of course, anything that's in the Legends canon. All that stuff is canon adjacent or not actual canon. So there you go. That's the levels of canon in Legends and the kind of different levels of canon within the actual Star Wars canon. If that didn't confuse you enough, thank you very much for the question, Rusar. Now, if anyone else would like to ask a question or leave a comment for the show, please feel free to contact me. You can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or tweet me at legendslounge1. Now, let's dive into today's book, X-Wing Wedges Gamble by Michael Stackpole. It's time to head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Wedge's Gamble is the second book in the first arc of the X-Wing series of novels. 
The newly reformed Rogue Squadron has taken the Imperial worlds of Nokivzer and Borlaeus as the New Republic pushes forward toward Coruscant. But Imperial Center, as the Empire calls Coruscant, is held by Isain Isart, the brilliant but ruthless director of Imperial Intelligence. Isart has ordered one of her agents, Curtin Lore, and General Avir Derricote with preparing the planet for the Rebels' impending attack and the destruction of Rogue Squadron. The story begins with Wedge strengthening the ranks. Three of the original Rogues were killed in action during the Nokivzer and Borlaeus campaigns, and then Bror Jace, one of the best pilots in the squadron, was ambushed and killed by the Empire on his way to his home planet. Now, Corn Horn believes the Rogues have a mole in the squadron, and like many in the military, he thinks that's Tycho Selchu. Very few people in the New Republic military knew of Jace returning to Thyfera, and he doesn't think Jace's ambush was by accident. Corrin confronts Tycho and wants his story. A little more than a year earlier, Tycho volunteered for a secret mission, flying a captured TIE fighter to Coruscant. He recorded data on the Imperial Planetary Defense Forces and transmitted it back to the New Republic. But Tycho was captured trying to leave the planet. He was arrested and sent to Lusankia, the prison run by Imperial Intelligence. Lusankia is infamous for brainwashing prisoners and turning them into unknowing weapons. There, Tycho was interrogated and tortured for months before the Imperials let him go. He returned to the New Republic where he was debriefed for two months to try to find any trace of brainwashing but uh, the Rebels found nothing. Now, Corrin accepts the story, but tells Tycho he's still suspicious of him and will keep an eye on him. Wedge's new recruits to the squadron are Captain Errol Numb, a Celestin and the sister of Nyan Numb, and Lieutenant Pash Kraken, the son of General Aaron Kraken, the head of New Republic Intelligence. Both are ace fighter pilots, especially Pash, who's the best A-wing pilot in the New Republic military. The flying scores for both pilots put them in the upper half of Rogue Squadron, with Pash rivaling Corrin as the squadron's top ace. Now, the Alliance is fighting on two fronts. First is the push toward Coruscant. The second is on the fringes of the Outer Rim, where a former Imperial Admiral, who has declared himself the head of the Imperial Remnant, Warlord Zinj, pecks away at the Alliance from the outside. The New Republic Provincial Council knows they don't have the resources to battle on both fronts, so they decide the invasion of Coruscant needs to proceed. The politicians and Admiral Akbar formulate a plan to land a small force on Coruscant, gather intelligence, sow confusion, and sabotage the planetary shields. But before the incursion, the Council wants the rogues to free some political prisoners from the spice world of Kessel. The prison warden will release the prisoners only if the Alliance also takes some others that are making life difficult for him. The Council agrees, and Rogue Squadron is sent to Kessel to take former members of the Black Sun Crime Syndicate and use them to cause trouble on Coruscant. That'll hopefully distract the Imperials from the intelligence the rogues are trying to gather. Now, among the prisoners the rogues release are Zekka Thine, 
a murderer that Korn and his father, Halhorn, had put away, Fleury Varu, a former imperial moth that drew the ire of Emperor Palpatine for amassing an underworld fortune in the Carillion sector, and Inyiri Forge, the sister of former rogue Lujane Forge. Now, the former Black Sun agents are smuggled onto Coruscant and told to cause as much chaos for the Imperials as possible, but limiting the damage to the civilian population and infrastructure. The rogues are then inserted in small groups. Wedge and Pash are smuggled in and meet up with Alliance intelligent agent Ayala Wasiri. She's Corrin Horn's former partner in the Corellian security forces. Corrin and Asiri Delaret meet with an agent named Winter, and the remaining six rogues are inserted into Invisisec, the largest non-human area of the planet, to gauge what support they could get from the non-human population of Coruscant. While the rogues gather intelligence and try to decide the best way to bring down the planetary shields, Isart is preparing for the inevitable invasion. She tasks her agent, Curtin Lore, with keeping tabs on the rogues, delaying them from enacting their plans until General Derricote is finished creating the Krytos virus, a biological weapon meant to cripple the New Republic. The virus only attacks non-humans and can be cured with back to treatments if caught early enough. Isart wants the virus to cause tension between the human and non-human members of the New Republic and to exhaust their Bacta supplies. Isart gives Derricote a two-week deadline to perfect the virus and supplies him with Gamorian, Quarren, and Celestin test subjects. She needs Lore to delay the rogues until the Krytos virus is ready to be released into the population of Coruscant. As the rogues gather intelligence, Corrin sees Tycho Selchu in a cantina speaking with Lore. As he leaves to report it, Zekka Thine stops Corrin from leaving the bar. Thine wants revenge for being sent to Kessel. But Corrin escapes, steals a speeder bike, and leads Thine's gang on a pursuit through the Coruscant underworld. Now the chase catches the attention of Imperial authorities who chase after Corrin and the Black Sun gang through the caverns created by the immense buildings. They end up in Invisisec. A battle ensues. Corrin escapes but the six rogues gathering intelligence in Invisisec are caught in the crossfire. Most of those rogues escape, and the entire squadron meets up in their safe house to plan how to take down the planetary shields. Everyone, that is, except Errol Nunn. She's taken captive with a group of Celestins, but to where the Imperials have taken her, the rogues do not know. The rogues and Alliance intelligence agents form a plan to slice a code into the Imperial computer database that will allow them to deactivate the planetary shields. But Curtin Lore thwarts their first attempt, giving Isart the time she needs to finalize her escape plans and to allow General Derricote to inject the Krytos virus into the water supply around Invisisec. Meanwhile, the rogues develop a new plan to slice the computer code into the Imperial mainframe. First, Winter and Ayala Wasiri are able to remotely take control of an orbital solar mirror. They direct the mirror to one of the planet's reservoirs, boiling the water into the atmosphere to create a huge thunderstorm. The rogues use the storm to help cover the second part of the plan. With that, they take control of a huge construction droid and attack one of the buildings 
that houses the Imperial mainframe. Corin, Pash, Irisi, Rasadi Inir, and a Bothan intelligence officer named Asir Silar fly aerial support. The Republic fleet arrives at Coruscant just as Wedge and the others enter the Imperial building. Winter slices the computer code into the mainframe and disables the planetary shields. The space battle above the planet is brief, as Isart wanted Coruscant to fall to the Alliance. As the fighting winds down, Corn Horn loses control of his fighter, flies into the side of a building, and explodes. Wedge and the rogues find the remains of Corn's fighter and mourn his death. After the battle, Errol Num is found with the rest of the captured Celestans. They also find the Kratos virus ravaging the non-human population of the planet. Now, the four non-human members of Rogue Squadron are infected, but the infection is caught in its early stages, and they're cured with back-to-treatments. Our story ends with General Aaron Kraken and the New Republic arresting Tycho Selchu. Wedge protests and asks what charges Kraken has on Tycho. Kraken tells Wedge that Korn's fighter had been sabotaged. He says Tycho knew that Korn was suspicious of Tycho, that Korn reportedly saw Tycho meeting with Imperial officials, and that Tycho decided to eliminate Korn. Meanwhile, Korn awakes in darkness to find himself drugged and naked, chained in a prison cell. Isain Isart tells Korn he's on a ship bound for Lusankia. She plans to use him like she's using Tycho, to use Korn to bring down Rogue Squadron. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk about the pros and cons of Wedge's Gamble and whether or not this is really a Rogue Squadron book. I'm Aaron Motes. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Hey, everybody. Allow me to recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Battlefront Twilight Company by Alexander Freed. Inspired by the video game Star Wars Battlefront, Twilight Company tells the story of the 61st Mobile Infantry as they battle Imperial forces on multiple worlds throughout the Mid-Rim. The fighting is brutal and dirty. The soldiers are cynical and bitter, but ferociously loyal to one another. If you want to see the gritty, ugly side of the Galactic Civil War, check it out. That's Battlefront Twilight Company by Alexander Freed. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and I'm talking about the book X-Wing Wedges Gamble by Michael Stackpole. Now, first and foremost, is this a Rogue Squadron book? I would contend it's more like a Wraith Squadron book. Now, obviously, when the book was written, the Wraith Squadron books were not out yet. But this book, to me, reads more like a Wraith Squadron book, where a band of special forces infiltrate behind enemy lines and then cause chaos. Part of me wonders if Aaron Alston took inspiration from Wedge's Gamble when he wrote the Wraith books and came up with Wraith Squadron. But regardless, to me, Rogue Squadron are fighter pilots that battle in space. That's what I picture in my head when I picture 
Rogue Squadron. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say they always battle in space because Rogue Squadron was on Hoth. But you know what I'm saying. I don't normally picture the Dirty Dozen when I picture Rogue Squadron. I picture the Wraiths when it comes to a mission like this. However, does it mean I don't like the book? Absolutely not. I really like the book. I think one of the really good things about this book is you get to see some of Wedge's adaptability, strategic planning, and a little bit of Wedge's deviousness. You flash forward a few decades in the Legends line when the Yuzhong Vong attack and Wedge is in control of the New Republic military. And you definitely see some of that. But I think this is the first time we really see it in the Legends line. Another thing I really like about this book is you get to see more of Gavin's characterization. You know, we talked in the last show how much I like Gavin Darklighter. In the first book in the X-Wing series, Gavin is just basically seen as a teenager from Tatooine who is naive about the ways of the galaxy, but he's a very good fighter pilot. In this book, yes, we get more of Gavin's naivete, but Gavin becomes more of a full character. He has the conversation with Corin and Mirax and Ayala about dating, about dating outside of his species. When the Imperials storm the non-human assembly in Invisisec, you see it through Corrin's point of view. So I like that part of the book. But I think what this book does best is introduce us to three new characters that become extremely important moving forward in the Legends timeline. Ayala Wasiri, Asir Silor, and Winter. Now, I know what you're going to say. Well, this doesn't introduce Winter. Winter was introduced in the Timothy Zahn books. You're right. You are correct. Winter was written first in the Timothy Zahn trilogy. But in the timeline, this is the first time Winter shows up post-Return of the Jedi. There's a handful of books between the prequel timeline and the time between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope that I haven't read yet. So if Winter appears there first, I don't know about it. Of course, many of you who have read Legends know Winter as Princess Leia's most trusted aide. And she's got a superpower. Winter has a photographic memory. If she sees it, if she reads it, even if she hears it, Winter remembers everything about her life and everything that she's been privy to. Ayala Wasiri is Corrin's former Corellian Security Forces partner. She's an intelligence specialist. She's a security specialist. And we'll see moving forward, she becomes much more important to Wedge as the timeline goes along. But of the three, I'd like to focus more on Asir Silar. Asir is a Bothan. She's a member of the Bothan Intelligence Network. She's a member of the Alliance Intelligence Network. She's also a capable fighter pilot. And she and Gavin Darklighter become romantically involved. It's one of the first times I remember in the Legends timeline 
of interspecies dating. And I like some of the conversations that Gavin, Corin, Ayala, Mirax, and, and then in books going forward, Gavin and Asir have with each other about how will the public react to this? How will our families react to this? What's the long-term prospects for us dating? What about children? Some of these questions that have real-world implications. Asir as a character herself is not yet that well-rounded. Here we just see her as a vocal supporter of non-human rights and a dedicated member of the Bothan Intelligence Network. Now, now there's only one thing about the book that I have an issue with, and I know what you can say. You can say, Aaron, you're nitpicking. Okay, you're probably right. But Coruscant is a city planet. Coruscant is home to trillions of people. And Coruscant is a fairly large planet. When the rogues are inserted into the planet in order to gather intelligence, none of the three groups are told where each of the other groups are going. They are also told that they will not be interacting with each other. So when Corrin is chased through the streets by members of Black Sun on the speeder bikes, when he's finally cornered by the members of Black Sun and by some Imperial stormtroopers that the chase has caught the attention of, what happens? The Imperials attack right where the members of the rogues that were inserted into Vivisec are gathered. And when Corn escapes and destroys a speeder bike, that speeder bike flies off and hits the floor of a building that Wedge, Pash, Mirax, and Ayala are in. So you have this huge planet with trillions of people, and yet somehow all the rogues end up in the exact same place coincidentally during a firefight. That's the one part of the book that I'm just not that big of a fan of. Um, I understand when it comes to any piece of entertainment, there has to be some level of disbelief, but to me, that just goes a little too far. Uh, I think Stackpole would have done a better job getting the rogues all together some other way. I will tell you one other part of this book that I don't completely understand is the plan to release criminals on Coruscant to keep the Imperials' attention while the rogues and Alliance intelligence are trying to gather information and trying to bring down the planet's shields. It just doesn't sound like a good plan to me. I mean, you have these bad people. You assume you can control them. But in the end, you kind of know they're going to come back and bite you in the butt. You're not going to be able to control them. On some level, you have to know the people that you're letting out are experienced in setting up criminal organizations, particularly Fleury Varu and Zekathine. You may have given them a reason to strike back at the Empire, but on some level, you got to know 
they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to use their intelligence and their experience to set up an underworld network, a criminal syndicate. And once you take over Coruscant, they're not just going to say, okay, we're done. No, they've now built this up or they're in the process of building this up that they're going to continue doing it once you take control of the planet. So I don't 100% understand what the point of that was. I understand wanting to get your own political prisoners released from Kessel. And the payment for that is to take these others that have been causing trouble. I wouldn't release them in Coruscant. I would take them to the very edge of Republic space and basically release them back into the wild. Or you don't have to do that. Put them in your own prison. Take them out of Kessel. Put them in your own prison. I don't know. That just doesn't seem like the best plan to me. Anyway, it worked, I guess. Now, moving forward, we have the Kratos virus ravaging the non-human population of Coruscant. And we see that the virus is going to become a shackle for the New Republic. It's going to sow discontent between the non-human members of the New Republic and the human members. You know, what is going on? Why is this only attacking non-human members? Why do humans seem to be immune? Is there a reason? Are the humans hiding that reason? And we find that the virus is going to consume a vast amount of resources on the New Republic side, mostly with Bacta. The virus can be cured if it's caught soon enough, but if it's not caught soon enough, it is a gruesome, painful way to die. Now, we've reached the halfway point of this first arc in the X-Wing series. The next book is The Kratos Trap, which goes more in-depth on how the Kratos virus is affecting the New Republic. But we'll get to that in two weeks. Now, I know during most shows, I finish with, with what we could possibly see moving forward in canon. I think I went over most of that last show, talking about the upcoming Rogue Squadron film that's supposed to be coming out in 2023. I don't really think there's anything specific to this book that we could see in canon moving forward. If it is, it's probably just something small. Maybe we could see an antagonist somewhere release a biological weapon like the Kratos virus. There was a two-part episode of the Clone Wars series where a long dormant virus was released on Naboo uh, inside of that lab, that underground lab. But that virus affected everyone, not just certain portions of the population. So who knows? We might see something like that. But other than that, I don't really see anything specific in this book that we could see in canon that we didn't see in the last book, Rogue Squadron. So to recap, Corrin is thought dead, but he's actually in Imperial custody. Isart is transporting him to Lusankia, the Imperial Intelligence Prison, and she has threatened him with exactly what he was suspicious of Tycho, that he's going to be used as a weapon, an unknowing weapon, but a weapon for the Empire against the New Republic and specifically Rogue Squadron. How that's going to happen, 
We don't know. And Corin is terrified. So coming up in two weeks, we'll have the third book in the first arc of the X-Wing series, The Kratos Trap by Michael Stackpole. Please join me for that. If you would like to get in touch with me before then, you can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or shoot me a tweet at legendslounge1. I really like to hear from you guys. Send in your questions, send in your comments. And with that, we'll wrap up today's show. I'm Aaron Motes. You've been listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.